The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. Hello and welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo and boy oh boy do we have an action-packed show. Later on, we'll be joined by defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive tackle Donovan Smith, fresh off a new $30 million contract extension, fresh off winning a Super Bowl, and we'll get his thoughts on Tom Brady's arrival in Tampa Bay and what that meant to the Buccaneers' Super Bowl run and a whole lot more. And then a little bit later on, we'll chat with Iowa State's all-time leading sack artist, their all-time tackles for loss leader, Jaquan Bailey, on his pre-draft journey and what this process has been like for him. But, you know, just looking around the NFL this week, there's one story that I think is flying just underneath the radar. And if you watch NFL Network's Good Morning Football, Mike Garofolo kind of touched on this a little bit, breaking down Jaron Reed, essentially turning down significantly more money to stay in Seattle to run to sign a new contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. And it just seems, you know, from my conversations, talking to agents around the league, talking to some insiders, talking to some executives, that there seems to be some sort of dysfunction going on in Seattle. And, you know, this is the type of offseason that we've started to become accustomed to when it comes to Russell Wilson. And you never, ever used to hear about Russell Wilson wanting out of Seattle or the Seahawks shopping Russell Wilson. And all of a sudden this year, it seems like the dam broke and you had the Chicago Bears very much involved in trying to trade for Russell Wilson. They, of course, go in a different direction and sign Andy Dalton. We'll see how that works out for them. I don't think it's going to work out that well, but you just hear these rumblings about Russell Wilson wanting out and Wilson supposedly, you know, not being happy in Seattle. And you have to wonder how long it's going to take for Seattle to kind of have enough of of that act as well. But it got me kind of thinking, what's going on in Seattle? Why would Jaron Reed in the prime of his career take less money to go and play for the Kansas City Chiefs? And I get it. He's chasing a Super Bowl ring and Andy Reed and Brett Veach have really built a strong winning culture in Kansas City the last couple of years. And that's got to be alluring. 
but to take less money in a year where the salary cap went down, it's just a little bit puzzling to me. So you start asking around and, you know, I, I was told by a couple of agents that there's just some dysfunction going on in Seattle. And it's not just isolated to Jaron Reed. It's not just isolated to a guy like Russell Wilson, but it doesn't seem like guys want to play there. It seems like when they have the chance to get out, they'll take it. Now, Chris Carson resigned and got paid there and good for Chris Carson. And I think that he's one of the more underrated running backs in this league. But overall, Richard Sherman won it out. Earl Thomas couldn't get out fast enough. And, you know, just talking to people, it, it seems like there's an element of what happens in New England. There seems to be another element of kind of what happened with Chip Kelly towards the end of his time in Philadelphia and the disaster that took place for him in San Francisco in his second go-round as a head coach that, you know, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, the GM, they're both players dudes. They both enjoy being around the locker room. They both enjoy being around players. And for the most part, players like them. But, you know, we talked to Matt Chatham on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he made the comment that playing in New England and playing for Bill Belichick, if you played there a season, it might as well count for one and a half years of service because of everything that you have to deal with. Another agent told me that, you know, if you play in New England, that takes years off of your career. But when you go elsewhere after leaving that place, even though you might have won a couple Super Bowls, even though you were paid handsomely, it's going to extend your career going elsewhere. And talking to people, it just seems like there is an element of that going on in Seattle right now. That for as much success as the Seahawks had, for as winning a track record as Pete Carroll had for a very long time, the message in Seattle on the inside, in the locker room, on the practice field every day is compete, 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 day in and day out. And, and that's great. And I think that that's a great mentality and that, you know, you hear a lot about that on college campuses, win the day, you hear about that and that's how a lot of players think. But that's not how it is everywhere. You know, th there's a give and a take between wanting to be riding a guy too hard and and just kind of going about your business and I don't think there's much of that balance going on with the Seahawks right now um, from my conversations trying to figure out what's happening up there and I think that in Reed's case and certainly in Wilson's case even though he's kind of still with the Seahawks and we're not sure how that situation is ultimately going to end they see what happened with Tom Brady especially Wilson Brady, a legend in New England, wins his six Super Bowls, and, you know, you have the chance to go elsewhere, and you take it. And it's not just from a football standpoint. He got to pick his destination. He landed with Bruce Arians. He landed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team with a brilliant and forward-thinking GM, who we're seeing how it's played out this offseason with them manipulating and managing the cap to keep everybody together. Brady got to go down to Tampa Bay create a winning situation on his own and outside of football the tb12 brand now got to go elevated to a new level there's a new way to market it in florida and you know you see the success that you can have elsewhere and you know people seem to think that russell wilson seeing what tom brady was able to do might want to do the same thing and might want to go to a different situation with a less demanding head coach in a situation and a culture where they can build something together and they can win elsewhere. And let's not mistake the fact that it seems like Seattle is on a bit of a downward trajectory as well. And for all of Pete Carroll's early success coming out of USC for three, four, five years, he was in the, the living rooms of these college recruits. He recruited even the guys that he didn't get to sign with USC. He still was involved in their recruiting process, still got to know their families, still got to know 
what their upbringing was like. What these guys were like in addition to being players. And there's value in that, especially when you're trying to build a culture. And that was a great advantage. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks were able to go and win a Super Bowl and go to multiple Super Bowls. But it's been a long time since Pete Carroll was in the college game. And that advantage is kind of winnowed and withered away. So my point here is the playing field has been a little bit leveled. The trajectory is a little bit downward. And when you haven't adjusted your culture, when it's still the Patriot way, great Northwest, I think veteran players see that. And when they have the opportunity to get out, they take it. And if Russell Wilson doesn't go anywhere this year, you know, let's just kind of circle back to the big blockbuster trades that happened last Friday. And we touched on it on the previous episode of the podcast. You know, there are some teams that have positioned themselves really nicely to be in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes next season. Because when you look at what the Miami Dolphins did, accumulating multiple first-round picks next year, moving back to the number 12 pick this year, and then back up to the number 6 overall pick, where they can get a legitimate dynamic playmaker to drop into their offense and pair with Tua Tagovailoa, if Tua disappoints, if Tua doesn't take that step to becoming an elite franchise quarterback this year, and I wrote about this in the column on Wednesday, if you want to go check it out on fansided.com, if Tua doesn't make the leap, then the Dolphins now have the optionality with all of those draft picks. If they go 4-12 and or 5-11 and or 3-13, and they're going to be in striking distance of next year's number one quarterback. But they could also go in a different direction. They have the draft capital. They have an overly aggressive general manager in Chris Greer, who's been brilliant with how he's manipulated and managed and built up quite the war chest of draft capital over the last couple of years. If Chris Greer and Brian Flores and the Dolphins' power structure don't believe in Tua and don't think that the quarterback at the top of next year's class has a ceiling as high or higher than Russell Wilson, And if this situation doesn't settle in Seattle and Wilson wants out and the Seahawks finally throw up their hands and say, okay, we've had enough, we're going to trade Russell Wilson, then guess who's sitting in the catbird seat to make a trade for Russell Wilson fresh off of with the number six overall pick this year, drafting the best remaining playmaker who they believe is the best remaining playmaker of potentially Alabama wide receiver Devonta Smith. Kyle Pitts slides to them and they have a dynamic electrifying tight end slash receiver. Maybe they get Jamar Chase, who's a freak of an athlete, arguably the number one wide receiver in this class and potentially of last year's class already on the roster with a Mike Gesicki, with a Will Fuller, with a swarming defense. That's a great situation in South Beach for Russell Wilson. Are you kidding me? How could it work out any better? So I think the Dolphins position themselves really nicely. And don't rule out the Philadelphia Eagles. Because while it sounds on the surface like they're committed to Jalen Hurts, they went out and they signed Joe Flacco as the backup quarterback this year. And Flacco made some comments that he thinks he could push for the starting job. So that tells me that at least in Flacco's mind, even he doesn't believe that the Eagles believe Jalen Hurts is their quarterback for the long term. And if that's the case, think of what the Eagles are sitting on next year. If Jalen Hurts is the guy, this is all a moot point. If Jalen Hurts is the guy in an NFC East that got more talented with the Cowboys re-signing Dak Prescott, 
with a dominant front seven and a electrifying offense in Washington with Antonio Gibson and with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback and with some really, really talented wide receivers. And in New York, the Giants going out and bringing in Kenny Galladay and John Ross and Kyle Rudolph already with Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard and a healthy Saquon Barkley. If the Eagles somehow turn it around, which I don't think they will, and, and again, I've said this a few different times in a few different places, I think the gap between the Eagles and whoever finishes third in the NFC East is a sizable one. But if they don't think that Jalen Hurts is the guy, if Hurts doesn't light the world on fire, next year they're sitting on their own first-round pick. They're sitting on Miami's first-round pick. And if Carson Wentz plays in 70% of the offensive snaps or the Colts go to the postseason— they have Indianapolis's first-round pick. So if Hertz is the guy, great for Philadelphia. They'll be able to have drafted a player at number 12, and you know we'll see what happens in free agency next year when the cap goes up. They can build and surround him with some weapons. But if he doesn't, there might not be a team in the NFL better positioned than the Eagles to go and get Russell Wilson. So I, I don't know if the situation in Seattle settles. I know that winning cures a lot of ills, but that's a team that won a playoff game this year, and it seems like all hell broke loose this offseason, and Russell Wilson, once again, has been pretty adamant about wanting out. Eventually, there's going to come a tipping point for the Seahawks where they throw up their hands and say, enough is enough. And if that tipping point is next offseason... Well, then the Eagles and Dolphins, in my opinion, are the two front runners to land him then. An exciting show coming up your way. On the other side, we'll chat with a player, Donovan Smith, the left tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's just won a Super Bowl. Get his thoughts on playing with Tom Brady and a whole lot more. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, Inside Fan Side. It's Stacking the Box Podcast feed. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Welcome back to the Matt Lombardo Show. And as promised, our guest is Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive lineman Donovan Smith. Donovan, thanks for taking a couple minutes. How are you doing today, my man? I'm great, Matt. How are you doing? Appreciate you for having me. Of course, happy to have you here, doing great. And let's start with the most important question of this entire interview. What was your reaction when you saw Tom Brady toss the Vince Lombardi trophy from one boat to another during that parade? Oh, man, I didn't actually see it uh, live, but uh, after I saw it, um, you know, in the media and everything, I was I was just as hype as everybody. I said, that's my boy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I loved every bit of it. Awesome. It was it was it looked like a fun parade and you see Bruce Arians getting the tattoo the other day. A lot of fun, exciting things happening in Tampa. And in all seriousness, congratulations to you on the new contract. That has to be pretty gratifying to have an organization commit $30 million over the next two seasons to you. So congrats on the new deal. Definitely. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's uh definitely been what it's going into year seven here. So, you know, to be able to keep, you know, plugging away years. Hey. With- the team that, you know, drafted me, you know, it, it really means a lot. So, you know, the city was great. I love it here and everything. So, you know, why not? Was there a moment over this past season when you thought this had the chance to be really special? Because it seemed like you guys really turned it on over the second half of the season. Was there a moment for you where you thought, okay, we could really do something here? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, You definitely have that uh, feeling throughout the season. Um, You know, we, we kind of was, you know, building up and, and, had to figure out who we wanted to be and how we wanted to play. So, you know, once we kind of figured that out and, and, and hunkered down and, 
you know, played our ball and won our one-on-ones, you know, everything took care of itself. So, Yeah, it seems like you guys really picked it up down the stretch. And just getting back to Tom Brady for a second here, how much did his arrival in Tampa Bay change things in that locker room from an expectation standpoint to the culture of the team to just the entire vibe of the season? What did it mean? Because, you know, you've been in Tampa Bay for six seasons prior to this. How much did Tom Brady's arrival change things? Uh, it meant a lot. Um, obviously, bringing his experience and his greatness, um, you know, to be able to to it obviously boost everybody else to you know their play and you know standard level. So, you know, to have that, uh, you know, have him come in and you know lead the ship the way he did, uh, you know, from a work standpoint to you know how he prepped and prepared, you know, it, it kind of pushed you know everybody and, and showed everybody you know how to be a pro, how to get it done. So. You know, it definitely was a great bonus to, to us. What's he like in the huddle and in the locker room? Because, you know, as people in the media and, and fans, we all see the ultimate competitor. But what's he like as a teammate and, and what's he like as a dude? I mean, he's a great teammate. I mean, he's just like anybody else. I, it's it's so funny because I, I don't know what people expect him to be like. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, he, he he's great in the locker room. Um, obviously, take command in the huddle um you know it's, it's, it's his show he he likes things done his way well not his way but you know a certain way in terms of how we prep and prepare because obviously it's going to transition onto the field so you know we practice that through the uh practice and everything and you know obviously it, it, it translates so and you've been one of the steadiest and most dominant offensive tackles in the league for the past few years now if not longer than that and you know what's your biggest key to your personal success year in and year out oh man just uh you know, never settling. Um, you know, I've I feel like um my, my best years are to come. Uh, you know, obviously it's a game that you know you you learn and you grow with, and obviously you know it, it comes with you know experience. So being able to have you know the, as many games as I have under my belt, you know, as six years. Um, what's that? I think I'm at what ninety eight or something. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere around there. So. It's crazy, but uh, yeah. Why, why know, do you say that? What what what's what's starting to really click for you? What makes you think that there's another gear that you can can reach? Because you know, watching you play, I, I don't doubt that it's there. I'm just curious what what inside of you and what inside of your skill set makes you think that you're going to be able to reach that next level next year or beyond. Yeah, no, you just find different motivations each year, um, as well as you know, just the learning process, uh, technique. You know, just growing as an athlete, as a you know, as a pro, going out there, perfecting my game, my craft. And, uh, you know, playing dominant physical uh, football. So all while having fun with it. So, you know, like I said, I'm still young, <laughs> which Absolutely. is crazy. So, you know, it, I feel as, you know, the best is yet to come. So, yeah, Still young, a Super Bowl ring on your finger, a new baby at home. I mean, <laughs> what, what, what's better than that, right? <laughs> exactly. As you can hear her now. <laughs> you know, and, and just going way back, you had a really unorthodox college career because you're basically recruited to Penn State by three different staffs. Joe Paterno recruits you. Bill O'Brien has to keep you. And then James Franklin, you know, had to keep you in Happy Valley as well. What was that like? And what were each of those guys kind of recruiting styles? Uh, you know, they, they were different. Um, obviously, you know, Joe Pye had his way. Bill O'Brien had his way. And then, you know, Franklin had his way. But, um, you know, I felt like with the recruiting process, it was different for me because I went through it with the Joe Pa staff. So, you know, it was it was fun, you know, the Penn State tradition way with, with everything, you know, kind of was how it went. But, uh, you know, obviously, it's just what make coaches, you know, who they are, how they recruit and, and stuff like that. So, but, um, 
you know, it was great four years there at Penn State, you know, great university. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, they got some great product coming out of there. Uh, so yeah, man, you know, shout out to Penn State. We are <laughs> for sure. Penn State, you know, th there were a lot of, a lot of talk about Illinois and their staff being on campus in 2011, trying to quote unquote, steal guys away from the program. How close did they come with you? Oh man. Um, I mean, that's a whole story, man. I mean, it was, it boiled down to a lot, you know, we, it, it forced a lot of guys, including myself to, to really grow up. You know, we had a lot of, um, adult decisions to make at a young age um, because it determined our future. So, you know, obviously a lot of guys sat down, thought about it, figured it out. And, you know, I had my, you know, group of guys that, you know, we sat there and said, okay, we're going we gonna to stay and, and, you know, get through this. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely built some character and, and stuff into some people uh, going through it. And you played two seasons for James Franklin. What, what's the biggest reason, do you think, that he's had so much success returning that program to a national power? Uh, shoot, I only did one year with him, I believe. Um, That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I did I did one year with him. But, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, you have a, a great school, great recruiting. Um, you're going to get good players. Uh, you know, like I said, the atmosphere there is, is great. And, you know, it's, it's credit to, you know, staff and, and everybody there. So. You know, it's, it's it's definitely it feels good, you know, to to, to be back up up, up top and in, in, in the ranks and everything, you know, uh, each year. So probably some decent bragging rights in the locker room after big games. Right. So, you know, just this, <laughs> just this last postseason for you, you lined up opposite of Chase Young at times and Washington has that really dominant front seven. Cam Jordan in the Saints and then Preston and Zadarius Smith for the Packers even before you even got to Frank Clark and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Who's the toughest opponent, you know, or front seven that you matched up with during the playoffs this past year? Oh, man. Um, I feel like New Orleans front seven is pretty good. You know, it's, it's always a good battle there. Uh, I mean, all of their front sevens are good. You know, obviously, you, they're there for a reason. You know, it's great players across the ball, as you stated. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a battle each week, but you know, obviously, uh, each of those guys carry a, a very special skill set um, and, and bring different, you know, type of things to the game um, and to their unit. So who's the biggest you know, trash front... talker out of that group? Who, who talked the most <laughs> smack during the playoffs? Oh, man. Uh, who talked the most smack during the playoffs? You know, it's it's so crazy. It's it's a lot of chit chit chat throughout the you know throughout the uh, the game. So you really kind of don't know who it is at sometimes because you're walking back to the huddle. But it's it's a little bit of everybody, you know, getting a good mix. But you know, Cam like to talk. Um, Frank like to talk. Christian Jones like to talk. Um, you know, it, it, it's how it go. You know, I give Jason like a lot of credit for what, you know, your guys' front office has been able to do, bringing back Brady, Gronk, Godwin, Shaq Barrett, you, Levante, David, the whole crew, the band's back together. Does that set the stage, you know, for you guys as a team really to be on a mission from week one? Because you're not just coming together as a team with all these guys arriving last year. You're, you're defending the trophy. So does this really, like, set the stage for you guys to be on a mission from week one? I mean, for sure. I feel like, you know, that's that's every week or every year. Um, you know, you got to approach the season, attack the season from week one, you know, to get to those games. Um, you want to win games early. You want to win games often. You know, you want to get on a roll. So, um, 
you know, I just feel like being able to get everybody back, you know, it just allows us to, you know, be have another year or two in the system, more, be more comfortable for guys, uh, be able to go out there, play faster, um, more physical and, 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 you know, fly around and have fun with it because, you know, like I said, it, the, the game slows down as you <laughs> get more reps and stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll be back together and be able to, you know, get even better. It really seemed like it slowed down for you guys and the production really picked up over the second half. I think you guys did. You, I don't think you lost in the month of December and then you rattle through the postseason as a wild card. Uh, it, it's got to be, you know, you have to feel pretty optimistic about being able to pick up and start that, you know, right from Jump Street. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, you want to win. I, I feel like every team, you know, every player, you know, that's why you play the game. You want to go out there to win. I feel like there shouldn't be a player or a, or a team or somebody is with a thought of losing. So, you know, I just feel as if every year we approach it the same. Um, you want to go out there, you want to win. You want to establish a, a dominance early. You want to establish who you are, what you're going to do early. And, you know, obviously there's going to be, you know, punches and, and, and you know, humps in the road as you go. But, you know, you got to, you know, adhere to it and, don't worry about it. And you feel me? Everything going, you know, Absolutely. shake back out. So, you know, um, you kind of just keep those principles and flying around, having fun with it, never being complacent with, you know, thinking you know everything and continue to learn and honing in on techniques. You know, all of that stuff that we preach throughout the, the season and stuff is, you know, it takes us far. So how much more challenging was it to do this through COVID-19? Because, you know, being in locker, like, you know, not yeah. even being in locker rooms, but being on Zoom calls with, with players all year last year and, you know, just listening to going in to get tested daily and you, you don't have the same camaraderie and some guys are living in hotels and staying away from their family. How much of an added challenge was having so many new faces coming into a locker room in the middle of a pandemic like that? Yeah. So it, it, it... You know, it was a blessing and a curse, as it, as you know, uh, having this adjustments, you know, to be able to alter things. It, it did feel weird at a time. Obviously, no fans and everything. Um, but, you know, we we had to sit there and make the adjustments and, and deal with it. There were no excuses. But it also was a blessing because, as you stated, you know, a lot of guys was away from the family. So I felt like it kind of brought everybody in the locker room together in a way. Uh, because you kind of, you know, was always with each other um, in the locker room or, you know, it was some, if you stayed with other guys, you know, you that's who you were with. So, you know, you learned a lot about some guys and, and whatnot and, you know, it was great. So, you know, what obviously. Was the, what was the biggest challenge for you going through it? Because obviously, you know, th this is a whole new experience for everyone, let alone trying to win a Super Bowl during a pandemic. Yeah. Um. The biggest challenge for me, uh, man, uh, I, I'm really not, I, I don't, I don't think it was, it was, a, it wasn't that bad, uh, to be honest. I mean, you know, our facilities was great to be able to spread out and we didn't have to alter much. So I, it, I think I, in the beginning, it was just having to get used to it, you know, being accustomed to it, getting, because you got to figure you was doing something for five or six years, you know, <laughs> in a heartbeat. And then now you got to, switch how you do you know this and got to be over here and it's just like but it is what it is <laughs> and, and you know last year was different than any other season anybody's ever seen it and this coming season is going to be even more different it's 17 games 
how does that change your preparation? Either, you know, going into this off season and, and thinking ahead to playing an extra game, how does that change things for you? Um, you know, you prepare the same, obviously. I mean, for us, the, what is it? 21 games, you know, to get through the Super Bowl, 20 games, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, I felt like after the Super Bowl, I could have played an extra game. So I think we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, but, you've been um, around the you've around the block a time or six, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I figure we'll be all right. But um, I mean, it's it's more opportunity for guys, more opportunity, um, just in in every area. Uh, I mean, I understand it's uh, you know, it's, it, it is hard and long on the body and and, and whatnot, but uh. You know, we'll, we'll see when we when we come around that corner and deal with it. But hey, last one before I let you go. And Donovan, I really appreciate you taking the time. But after winning the Super Bowl last year, how does Donovan Smith get better from here? What's the next mountain to climb for you on or off the field? Oh, man, just continue growing. Um, continue growing as a man, a father, a player, a son, just all around. Um, you know, I just figure, you know, you never stop learning, like I said before. And I feel like there's always a lot to learn and, you know, how you approach the game and technique and everything. So for me, you know, it's just taking it to another level and, and you know, getting there. So, you know, that's what it'll be. He's, t- he's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl winning left tackle Donovan Smith. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter at DSmith underscore 76. Donovan, this has been fantastic. Appreciate the time. Enjoy your offseason, man. Definitely. No problem. I'm a... Uh, I think it's nap time. You ready, mama? <laughs> Great stuff there from Donovan Smith. And of course, you think back to Tampa Bay a year ago, and it just seemed like even though all of the talent they acquired in the offseason, even though they brought Tom Brady over, it just seemed like a slow build for the Buccaneers last season. But you think about all the talent that they brought back, and we touched on this last week. We talked about it with Donovan. I really think the Buccaneers are one of the biggest winners through free agency because they kept everybody together. They brought everybody back. And you're not going to have that learning curve. You're not going to have all of the distractions of COVID-19. And the Buccaneers have that experience going into a 17-game schedule of figuring out how to navigate and stay healthy and stay together and on the field through COVID-19 that they're pretty well positioned and pretty well suited with the 17 game schedule, having that track record a year ago that injuries always happen, right? And you can't predict the future when it comes to injuries, but you, you just have to believe that with a veteran core and a head coach like Bruce Arians and that track record of, of staying healthy last season has to bode well for them being one of those teams that could stay in the mix and stay healthy this year. So you think back and, you know, if you look back towards 2000, There's only been one team that's been able to repeat as Super Bowl champions, and that was the Patriots with Tom Brady at quarterback from 2004 to 2005. And that's it. No other repeat champions over that span. And it's really difficult in the NFC and really in the NFL to repeat as Super Bowl champs, let alone go back to the Super Bowl. But I just look around the NFC and I look at the quarterback situations. Dak Prescott in Dallas, the Cowboys are going to be better. The Packers are always going to be a problem as long as Aaron Rodgers is there. And if everything settles with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, they're a team that's in the mix. 
But I think it's a lot easier to get to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. I think there's a lot fewer challenges in the NFC than the AFC when you have Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, when you have Josh Allen and the Bills, when you have Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, when you have the Pittsburgh Steelers who were always in the mix, it seems like, when you have the Tennessee Titans, when you have even a team like the Miami Dolphins who can knock off a team in the postseason if they make it there. It just seems to me, after what we've seen through free agency, that the Buccaneers are as positioned and as well positioned as anybody to get back to the Super Bowl. Now, can they beat Patrick Mahomes this time in the Kansas City Chiefs if the Chiefs are there? I still got to believe that if the if the Chiefs are healthy, that they'd be a favorite in the Super Bowl and they're a favorite to go back and win a second Super Bowl in three years next year. But I give Tampa Bay and I give Donovan Smith and his squad a puncher's chance against just about anybody in this league going into 2021. So great stuff from Donovan Smith. Make sure you go ahead and follow him on Twitter. And coming up on the other side, we'll chat with the all-time leader in sacks and tackles for loss at Iowa State, Jaquan Bailey, as he prepares for the NFL draft. We'll get his thoughts on his college career and what this pre-draft process has been like for him. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, the average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know, your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know, a falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back to the Matt Lombardo Show. And joining us is Iowa State defensive end, NFL draft hopeful, and the program's all-time leading sack artist, Jaquan Bailey. Jaquan, how you doing, man? Good, good. You know, tell me how something. You doing, sir? I'm great. Tell me something about Jaquan Bailey that fans of a team that wind up drafting you later this month might not know about you and might have them a little extra pumped up to get you on their, on their team. I'm a worker. Simple. Uh, I'm going to show up each and every day ready. Um to work and then willing to do anything out there the team asks me. How's this pre-draft process going for you? Was it a little bit disappointing not to have a combine to be able to work out in front of every team this year? In some some cases, yes. That's like one of the dreams growing up, but having pro day back at, back at Iowa State at a place that I'm very, very comfortable at was, was also like a bonus. So I was blessed just to have that because I already know that the last year guys, some of them, some of them did, didn't get the opportunity. For sure. And you ran a four, seven, two in the 40. You had the seven, three, one in the three cone drill. What'd you hear from the scouts afterwards? What was kind of their feedback for you? They was just telling me great job uh, that my position work went uh, fantastic. That like the way that I was, I was at a moving through the bass and, and then inside of my drops, all of that looked good. So Nice. That's great to hear. And you're leaving Iowa State as the program's all-time leading sacks leader. First of all, congrats on that. You left your mark on the program. And in, and in, in tackles. For and in tackles. Yeah, don't, I don't want to shortchange you there. So leader yes, in sacks and tackles for loss. What do you think was the biggest reason that you were able to be so productive? Simply because I was there looking to get better each and every year. And then I had also had some great teammates and 
coaches. Yeah, that's always great, you know, have that strong supporting cast around you. Was there a game or a play or a moment where you kind of thought, okay, I've arrived at this level and, you know, I have a chance to get drafted. Was there a moment in your college career that really jumps out at you? Uh, yes, and then no, because I'm never, never comfortable and I'm never complacent. But um, if I had to say a moment, I would have to say this year's TCU game, I was just out there just doing me and then, yeah, I mean, you had a pretty dominant performance that game. Is there an NFL player who you've watched growing up that maybe you model your game after a little bit? Yes, sir. Uh, multiple guys. Of course, the Shaq Barrett's, the Carr, Austin's, the Michael Bennett's, the Morgan Foxes, the Aaron Donalds, like, just, like, just like all of those guys. Yeah, and I mean, you, there were some pretty – Dominant offensive players there during your time. Dave Montgomery went went yes, through sir. Iowa State, and you know Hakeem Butler was there. Do you keep in touch with any of those guys? Like, have they given you any all advice? the time, man? Yeah, even the great Reggie Hayward. Like, uh, Reggie, me and uh, Reggie are like very, very close. What, what's some of the advice that you got from him about how to go through this process? By just simply taking it one day at a time, training, and then like just focusing on the things that I can control. It seems like in, in the NFL right now, the Bears have committed to Dave Montgomery being their running back, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future. Um, yes, sir. I, I'm sure you practiced against him every day. What makes uh, him so man. dynamic? The dude is just different, man. He's a humble monster, man. It's just simple. This man, David, man, is David simply is going to be the same guy each and every day. And he's going to outwork everybody, literally. Everybody, coaches, the players, the training staff, everybody. Yeah, who are some of the teams that have been in contact with you so far? The 49ers, the coach, the Seahawks. There's some pretty good defenses there. Especially, yeah. you know, the, Col the Colts are young and they have a real, you know, nice collection of yes, young sir. talent. The 49ers, you got that the front Broncos. seven. You have Broncos, yes, you, get, you got Von Miller, future Hall of Famer there. You fit yes, right sir. in in a lot of those places. Yes, sir. And, and for a lot of guys who are projected to go on day two of the draft, the big thing is that interview. And everybody talks yes, about, sir. you know, being at the combine, if there was a combine, and, and what you want to get across to the GM or the coach. So if you weren't talking to me and it was a GM or a head coach or a defensive coordinator on the other side, what would you want to impress on them about Jaquan Bailey? What would you want them to leave that conversation thinking about you? This kid is, is a dog, man. Just simple, man. I'm going to show up each and like, Everyday work, I'm gonna be the first guy there, and then all that. I'm gonna be the last to leave each and like every day. And then, man, if it's not about ball or like caring about one of my teammates, I just really, I honestly, I just don't care. Yeah, and, and that's what a lot of teams are looking for. Jaquan, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. And Iowa thank, State thank fans, you, NFL fans, go ahead and follow Jaquan on Twitter at XIX904. Jaquan, appreciate it. Best of luck in the draft. Thank you, man. Really great stuff there from Jaquan Bailey and really hope for the best for the kid. You know, seems like a hard worker, seems like a really good football player. And, you know, you talk about that TCU versus Iowa State game that he referenced. You look back at the tape and you look back at the stat line. Bailey had three and a half sacks, four tackles for loss and seven total tackles. That right there is the kind of performance that gets you drafted. That's the type of game where you think back to Dave Gettleman watching Saquon Barkley against Iowa in 2017 and watching that game and saying, oh my God, I have to have that guy. I don't know that it's quite on that level, but it's the type of game that if a general manager in an organization really values tape and values production, 
that's the kind of game that gets Bailey onto a draft board and gets him, you know, to have his name called on the Saturday of the NFL draft. And I hope it works out for him. I hope he gets drafted and, you know, best of luck to him. But Bailey is the type of prospect and the debate that's going to happen inside of war rooms from today all through the final pick being made in round seven of the NFL draft later this month is how do you value game time versus clocked time in a pro day workout? Because you look at what's happening around the country right now and you go to LSU's pro day and Jamar Chase runs a 4-3-8. Terrace Marshall runs a 4-3-8. Kerry Vincent runs a 4-3-8. I kind of wonder when you're watching all this happen, I wonder if Ed Ogeron, the head coach, lines up on the starting line if he runs the 40-yard dash, if he gets a 4-3-8 in the 40. And listen, I, I know that programs are going to time their guys a little bit more favorably, and that's just the name of the game. And it makes it a lot more challenging and a lot more difficult for organizations this time of year, this particular year, without the NFL Combine, where you're having laser-timed 40-yard dashes on neutral turf in a track in a stadium where these guys haven't practiced for two, three, four seasons. They're not fully comfortable. You're relying on a time in a home environment with a home scorer holding the stopwatch. And again, the Scots have their own stopwatches as well, so they can kind of mark down what they think the guy actually ran. But those times are going to bump guys up draft boards. And, you know, I don't doubt that Jamar Chase could have ran a 4.38 in the 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. He's a freak athlete. He's my number one wide receiver by a long shot. And I think that he might be the best wide receiver to come out of LSU since Odell Beckham Jr. And that includes some of the guys that have been drafted in the last couple of years. Jason Owe at Penn State is a whole nother animal. Here's a guy who the tape is really good, and, and he got a lot of pressures this year, and he's only been playing football for five years, and I happen to think that Jason Owe has the chance after his pro day where he runs a 4.36 in Happy Valley, and he has the broad jump in 11 feet 2 inches. He's a guy that I think could go off the board in the top 15 picks, and I think that the pro day really bolsters that, and I talked to a scout right after his pro day who said that he pounded the table for Jason Owe last year that he gave a first-round grade to Jason Owe after last season, prior to 2020, where he didn't have the sack. But Owe is a guy who, if you're a general manager and you have your scouting directors and you have your coaching staff in the building, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do in the first round, and keep in mind, Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, was in Happy Valley. Keep in mind, Joe Judge, defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, they were in Happy Valley for Penn State's pro day. Jason Owe is a guy who's going to move up boards because of what he did. And the scout who I talked to about Owe told me that, you know, that pro day is going to reinforce a lot of people's opinions that he's a first-round pick. And maybe he goes in the top 15, 20 picks, but maybe there's some organizations that value game speed and tape over clocked time in the 40-yard dash and what some folks will call the quote-unquote underwear Olympics. And if you're an organization that values those things, you're not taking a Jason Owe, but maybe you're taking a Jaquan Bailey in round five instead of round six or round seven. And another kid who really hurt himself during these pro day workouts is Pittsburgh's Paris Ford. Defensive back, he thought he's probably going in, you know, round three, maybe round four at the latest, day two, early day three pick. He runs a 4-8-3 in the 40-yard dash. I might, I might run a mid-fives in the 40-yard dash, and I'm a relatively out-of-shape 34-year-old dude. I'm not going to be able to, you know, run an elite speed, but 4.83, as one scout told me, you can run your way right out of the draft 
running a 4.83 in the 40-yard dash. So it's going to be really fascinating, especially this year, where you're not going to have individual workouts in team facilities where you can put these guys through a workout and time them on your own in your building. You're not having an NFL combine. You're relying solely on pro day times and pro day measurables. I'm going to be really interested to see who goes high and who starts to tumble. And if guys go high, if Oway goes in the 12-13 range, I'm going to be really shocked and really interested and surprised to see who winds up picking him. If Bailey sneaks his way into round four or round five, I'm going to be interested to see who takes him. Because he's a guy, decent workout numbers, but incredibly productive. Leads the program in sacks. Leads the program in tackles for loss at Iowa State. Paris Ford's another story. If he still goes in round two or round three, then that tells you that the team that takes him really doesn't give a hoot about pro days. Really doesn't think pro days matter. So this NFL draft is going to tell us more about the philosophies of various NFL franchises and their front offices, maybe than any other NFL draft that we've had in a very long time, if not ever. And you have to hope and you have to believe that as vaccines improve around the country and as hopefully over the course of this season, we start to stomp down the curve that next year, And next NFL draft season, we get back to normal a little bit, that you have a combine, that you have pro days again, that you have in-person workouts, that the level playing field returns for all of these prospects. But that's a year away, and the NFL draft is a few weeks away. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to try to bring through some more NFL draft prospects, get a sense of their journey, get a sense for the teams that are interested in them. And some NFL players as well to get their thoughts on their offseason and what's coming up as well. And as always, appreciate you listening. Really appreciate each and every one of you. And if you like what you've heard, please go ahead and subscribe to the Stacking the Box NFL podcast in Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you love what you hear, it would mean a lot if you left a five-star review. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like about the show. Hey, give me a couple of guests that you'd like me to try to get to have on because those reviews, they really help grow the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy your week. And thanks again for listening to the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your cat. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get food. Walk away from food. Move to couch. See human. Give cold shoulder. Take a nap. Meow till I get your food. Your pet has a food. very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Move to couch. Aggressively clean myself. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get coverage get for your pets with anti-auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with a purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.